0: Welcome in, everybody, to episode 171 of the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Eratora Sports Podcast. Great show today. It's been a great few weeks, by the way. If you haven't been listening, if you've been on vacation, if you've been traveling, whatever you've been doing, if you've been getting ready to storm Area 51, wherever you have been, If you've missed any of the shows, great couple weeks. Tyler Hero, Miami Heat forward, joined us a few weeks ago. Jason Brown, last chance you. And then last week, Nick Coffey made his triumphant return to talk a little bit about just kind of everything that's going on in sports right now. It's kind of that slow time where we're struggling to find content. But Nick and I made it work. Great show this evening as well. Going to talk a few different things. We're going to go a little bit to early season college football. I know it seems like, eh, are we really ready to talk football? But we're basically two weeks away from week zero, which is, of course, those early games in late August. And then we're three weeks from the first full weekend of college football. It's coming up. Faster than you think, so we're going to talk just some of the stuff that I'm thinking about going into week one. I think there's actually a couple of really intriguing games in week one and week two, so we'll get into that. we will also switch gears to basketball two things that I think that have happened that are pretty interesting. Um, one, the kid Marjan Beauchamp, for those of you who don't know, another kid has announced he's skipping college basketball. This one might be the most preposterous. So this kid hasn't even started his senior year of high school and has already announced that he is going to, uh, to train professionally for a year before entering the NBA draft. I'll get into that. Uh, I have a thought on that that I don't think anyone has said, and I think it's a really kind of interesting point. Obviously, it came from me, duh, so you know it's good. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk to you about that. Also, we're going to wrap Kentucky picking up another commitment today, uh, Sunday. Cameron Fletcher from Missouri will touch on that really quick to wrap the show. Again, we don't do a ton of recruiting, but it's a slow time of year. I've seen the kid a little bit. I'll share kind of my thoughts on it um, as we get set now to go into the work week and We get that much closer to college football, and then, of course, college basketball, which is now like 90 days away, believe it or not, from the start of the season in early November. I should mention, if you're not subscribed, make sure you're subscribed because there could potentially be, I don't want to jinx it, but potentially a really big guest coming later in the week, one of the premier coaches, or at least one of the biggest name coaches at one of the biggest name programs in college basketball could be joining us the back end of the week. Again, I don't want to promise anything. I feel pretty good about it though. So make sure you're subscribed. But speaking of which make sure you're subscribed to this here Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You could do it on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. You can do it on TuneIn Radio. You could do it on Pod Paradise. You could do it on Podcast Addict if you have an Android. That's where I listen to this show. But make sure you're subscribed. New episodes coming straight to your phone as soon as they're available. Also, make sure to rate and review the show Five stars are welcome. Five stars are encouraged. Some of you guys have been really uh, doing this, giving us the five stars, and I really, really do appreciate it. It really does show up. It really does help us move up those iTunes charts. So thank you to everyone who has continued to uh, support the show. Uh, somebody just gave me one star, but that guy, he comes in every once in a while and just gives me one star, so I ignore him, thank you all who have given me five stars, I genuinely appreciate it, make sure you're rating and reviewing the show, also, if you're not following the Instagram page, things are going to ramp up here over the next couple weeks, we're getting close to the season, Aaron underscore Torres underscore Sports Underscore podcast on Instagram, and of course, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into the show today. I don't know how long I'll go, no guest again, big college basketball guest later in the week. We'll have some college football guests over the next couple weeks as we get set for the season. I am solo tonight, we'll see how long this thing goes, but I will say this week one's coming up, it's coming up fast. We all know that week zero is technically now just two Saturdays away, which is absolutely insane. Um, But week zero is coming. For people who don't know what week zero is, what they've started doing is actually doing a couple games that last uh, weekend before Labor Day. So Labor Day is kind of the unofficial start to college football season, right? Actually, it's the official start. And what they've been doing is they've been doing a couple games in this week zero uh, just to kind of get your, just to, you know, get, get your appetite a little bit wet, just to wet the beak, if you know what I mean. Just a little tip, just to see how it feels, you know, just to just ease your way into the college football season. And so... Uh, This year, it's going to be Miami, Florida, and then ironically, it's going to be Arizona at Hawaii, which is crazy because I'm going to be in Hawaii for my honeymoon. Uh, Sick brag, I know. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be on the island of the game, so I won't actually be going to that game, but the point is we got two games uh, on the 24th, and then everything really gets going on the 31st, and so I want to talk about a couple of the big games that I see on the schedule, week one, week two, whatever the case may be. And again, we'll wrap up, of course, with basketball stuff. So here's where I want to start. I think the big game, the intriguing game, is the one that everyone is excited about. And if, if you haven't been following college football, if you're not a diehard, it's okay. We're going to ease back into it. We all know Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma. You know, those are the teams that you need to know. But there's going to be probably when the, um, when the polls come out. So the coaches poll came out last week. There's only one matchup of top 15 teams in week 1 and that is Auburn and Oregon. Auburn actually coming in at the 16th spot, so technically it's a top 20 matchup between the two of them. Auburn coming in 16, Oregon coming in 13, and this is by far the best matchup of the first weekend or at least it should be on paper as it does feature two of the top 20 teams in the AP or in the USA Today Coaches Poll and it's fascinating Because it really kind of is must-win for both teams. And this is what's great about college football, right? By the way, listen, you guys know, I love college basketball. Love college basketball. Really enjoy the NBA. Really enjoy the NFL. But there is something so unique to college football in that everything, there's just so, every game means so much. There's so much pressure right away. And it's funny, right, because, you know, as we talk about, we need to expand the playoff, we need to do this. It's like what makes college football great is that in the regular season, every game matters so much. There is so much pressure. I actually heard Urban Meyer say this the other day. Urban Meyer's working for Fox now. I saw him on with my buddy Colin Cowherd. And Urban Meyer said that he remembered talking to Billy Donovan one time. Uh, Billy Donovan, of course, at the time was the head coach at Florida in basketball. Urban Meyer was the head coach at Florida in football. And they were having dinner. They were having drinks or whatever. And Billy Donovan said, man, Urban, yeah, you know this, this pressure in March is killing me. Every game, you lose, you go home. It's cra- this pressure is so crazy. And Urban Meyer said, pressure in March? He goes, that's college football. He goes, college football, that's how it is 365 days a year. Every single time you take the field, there's that pressure to win. And if you don't win, the sky is falling. Your job is on the line. You could be out. Uh, There's just so much pressure. That's why we love it. That's why these games mean so much. That's why you can feel the tension in the stadium even when you're watching the games at home. And so... I bring this up because Auburn, Oregon in week one, there's going to be one fan base and maybe even a whole conference that is just dragging come Monday, come Sunday, come Saturday night if they lose this game. So let me explain. Let me get into it. Again, both these teams in the top 20 should be a good matchup. But you look at Auburn and anybody who has done any kind of look into the the season ahead in college football and I know a lot of you guys you follow your own individual team it isn't until the season starts that you kind of figure out okay this team's good this team's not well I'm telling you Auburn is pretty good on paper but here's the problem if you have done any surface level research you know Gus Malzahn uh, it's uh, it's not a great time to be it's not a great time to be Gus Malzahn not a great time to be team Malzahn not a great time to uh to you know, be in the in in, Gu- in the Gus Malzon world because obviously, if you remember, two seasons ago he had that incredible run. They beat Georgia, they beat Bama, they go to the SEC championship game. Arkansas, the job opens up, and of course, he is the prime candidate because he's originally from Arkansas. So what happens? Well, we all know what happens. Gus Malzahn gets this massive extension, and then Gus Malzon kind of goes back to basically being who Gus Malzahn has been at Auburn. And what he's been in Auburn is an above-average coach, but not a great coach. It's funny, right? So I did Fox Sports Radio on Saturday. I hosted Solo. Spent a lot of time talking Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's, like, there's nothing wrong with him, but statistically, he's a slightly above-average quarterback. And Gus Malzahn's kind of a slightly above-average coach. He's going into year seven in, in five of those seasons, excuse me, four out of his first six seasons, seven or eight wins. He had the great first year where they go to the national championship game. They lose to Florida State. Jameis Winston last second touchdown pass. It was at the Rose Bowl. I was actually at the game. And then the the and then of course two seasons ago he gets ten wins, wins the SEC West, beats Georgia, beats Alabama, um, and ends up losing in the SEC championship game to Georgia. But the reason I bring it up is because everything in between has been kind of meh. 8 and 5, 7 and 6, 8 and 5, and then last year 8 and 5. And so Auburn fans for people who don't follow college football 365 days, Auburn's fans are arguably the most insane in college football. I mean just just every year Auburn has an incredible stat going. Their last 3 head coaches have all had an undefeated season and they've also all been fired. So not obviously not back to back but all three of their previous coaches, Terry Bowden, Tommy Tuberville, and Gene Chiswick, have all had an undefeated season. They've all ended up getting fired. Gene Chiswick is the first coach to be fired within two years of winning a national championship. He wins a title with Cam Newton in 2010. By 2013, he's out. So technically three years, I guess. Uh, but he was, he was out in the winter of 2012 into 2013, which means he only had two seasons after winning a national championship, and he's out, and so Auburn fans are insane, and so if Gus Malzahn loses this game, they're in really big trouble, and you look at where Auburn is at, and this is why it's so fascinating, because Auburn, they don't, they're really, really, really good, but they they, they also have holes as well, so for people who don't know Auburn's depth chart, whatever, basically what you need to know is this, their defensive line might be the best in the country, like legitimately one of the best in the country, a group that they got three, four, five guys that are all going to play in the NFL, a couple first rounders. They have basically their whole defense, their whole offensive line back. So in the trenches, they're going to be fantastic. Problem is they don't have a quarterback. Jared Stidham graduated last year. They got a red shirt freshman named Joey Gatewood, who's never played a game. They got a true freshman named Bo Nix, who's never played a game. And one of those guys is gonna take the field against Oregon, who's ranked in the top fifteen week one, and be expected to lead Auburn. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't have success, if they don't get the win, the heat automatically gets ratcheted up on Gus Malzahn. And so that's why it's fascinating from the Auburn perspective. From the Oregon perspective, it's a little different, but it's kind of the same. So at all Oregon. Obviously, nobody thinks that their coach is on the hot seat. Uh, Mario Cristobal is their head coach. He took over for Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart left for Florida State last year. They named Mario Cristobal the head coach. He has a really, really good first season. What makes Oregon so interesting, like Auburn, they return a lot of talent in the trenches, all five starters. They return a a couple guys on defense, including, by the way, Oregon is probably out of every team in the Pac-12 had the best best recruiting class in all of college football last year for a Pac-12 team, right? It's usually USC, maybe Washington. Oregon cleaned up in the state of California. They got uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, number one ranked player in America. A defensive lineman ended up at Oregon. He's from Southern California. And so I bring this up because Oregon has some really, really interesting pieces, and this is after going nine and four last season. And oh, by the way, you probably know Justin Herbert could have been a first-round NFL draft pick last year. Quarterback decides to come back for another season. Now, where the difference is in Oregon versus Auburn is pretty simple. So, Auburn, all the pressure squarely on Gus Malzahn. You lose that game, you're in deep trouble. By the way, the thing I didn't mention about Auburn, they have maybe, I think Texas A&M has the toughest schedule in the country. For people who don't know, Texas A&M plays at Clemson, at Georgia, at LSU, and Alabama at home. So Texas A&M probably has the toughest schedule in the country, but how about Auburn getting LSU on the road, Florida on the road, A&M on the road, Bama at home, Georgia at home. So Auburn's two crossover games this year are Georgia at home, Florida on the road, plus they open with Oregon. So six of their 12 games, this is Auburn now, six of their 12 games, are two teams that are ranked in the top 20, top 15 of the first USA Today Coach Bowl. You talk about a tough schedule, so you see why the pressure's on Auburn. Now, the reason the pressure is on Oregon, in my opinion, is this. The Pac-12, in football specifically, although basketball last year as well, the Pac-12 has been just a complete punching bag. They're a joke, We all know it. They've missed the playoff two out of the last three years. They or the last two years. They've missed it three out of the last four years. How about this? The Pac 12 has not won a college football playoff game since the first college football playoff game ever. Oregon played Florida State. Oregon wins, goes to the national championship game, loses to Ohio State. The Pac-12 has not won a college football playoff game since then. That was 2014. 2014 was the last time that the Pac-12 won a college football playoff game. Didn't make the playoff last year. They didn't even really have a contender last year, which was the scary part. And so when I look at this, that's why this game is so huge for Oregon. Because I think really... They have the entire reputation of the Pac-12 on the line in this game. And what do I mean by that? If Oregon loses their game, if their best team goes, and, and granted, they are going to SEC country, but if they go to SEC country and lose to a team that looks like it's probably the fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe seventh best team in the SEC... That's a really bad look for the Pac-12 when your best team can't beat the SEC's seventh best team. And look, if Oregon were to run the table, they would probably make the playoff. There are other teams in the Pac-12 that could compete for the playoff. Maybe Utah, who I like a lot. Maybe Washington. But it's going to be a a tough road ahead for Oregon if they don't win this game. But I think it's a tough road for the Pac-12 as well. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical here, and I I, I'm, I know it's kind of confusing, but imagine if on the last day of the season, Oregon is 12-1, and they win the Pac-12, but their loss was to the 5th, 6th, 7th best team in the SEC. What happens to the team that loses the SEC championship game? What if we have a situation like last year where we have a, a one or two lost ch- uh, non-champion in the SEC? That's a really bad look. For Oregon in the Pac-12, and it'd be really tough to argue that Oregon should get in if, say, Georgia or Florida is 12-1 coming out of the uh, SEC championship game, and they don't win it. And so that's why this game is so important. I am so fascinated to see this one, see where it goes. I think that's gonna be the game of the weekend. Uh, I'll give you my betting picks as we get closer, but that's the game of the weekend. I wanna transition to another game that this one I don't think anyone's talking about, right? So everyone's talking... Auburn, Oregon. That's the game I think most people have had circled for Week One since the schedule came out. You know, whenever it did, back in uh, I don't know March, April, May, whenever the schedule came out. Maybe even earlier than that. I'm sure that this game was announced probably five or six years ago, like all these big college football games are announced. Uh, but the other game that I think is really interesting in Week One is the Sunday night game. So remember, Week One of college football is great because it's on Labor Day weekend. There's no NFL. And so we get a we get Thursday, Friday, Saturday of college football, which we always do. And then we get Sunday, Monday of college football as well. Nick Coffey actually mentioned last show, the Monday night game this year on Labor Day is Notre Dame at Louisville. So Nick Coffey will be in the stadium on Labor Day night. But before we get to that, Sunday night, Houston at Oklahoma. Now, I know a lot of you are probably sitting there saying, you know, Houston, whatever, who cares? Like, why am I supposed to care about Houston Cougars football? Only Cougar I care about is, well, I'm not gonna go there, you know. I was gonna say something about, you know, maybe your next door neighbor or something like that. I said, I'm not going there, I'm not going there, okay? Um, but with, with, with the Houston-Oklahoma game, let's backtrack. Before we get to Houston, I need to set it up. It's what I do, it's what we do in the biz. It's called a setup, it's called a lead up. This is what I'm gonna do. Let's go back and talk about Oklahoma, because I, I, I think, and I talked to Nick about this last episode, I think because Kyler Murray won the Heisman, because he was so dynamic, because Oklahoma made the playoff, they played Alabama, they actually played Alabama pretty well in the second half, I think what we forget about Oklahoma is this. Their defense was really bad at the end of last season. It was really bad all year long but really specifically at the end of last season. And again, because of Kyler Murray, I think people forget they, were, they weren't just like bad. They were like really bad. I'm gonna give you some quick numbers here. Give you some numbers. 46, 47, 40, and 56. Do you guys know what that is? Don't cheat. Don't look. They're not Powerball numbers. Don't go to, the, don't go to your gas station. They're not Powerball numbers. You know what they are? That was how many points Oklahoma gave up the final four weeks of the regular season last year. 46, 47, 40 to Kansas. To Kansas, Kansas, 40 points. I don't think Kansas scored 40 points the rest of the season. And they gave up 40 to Oklahoma, 56 to West Virginia. And so my question is, How improved is that defense? They brought in a new defensive coordinator, one of the guys from Ohio State. He wasn't the guy who called plays at Ohio State, but they brought in a guy from Ohio State, and is that defense going to be improved? And I'll tell you why specifically this season opener is so interesting. It's because I mentioned all of the points that Oklahoma gave up to end last season. 46 to Texas Tech, 47 to Oklahoma State, 40 to Kansas, 56 to West Virginia. West Virginia final game of the regular season, Thanksgiving weekend. You know who was coach at West Virginia at that time? Dana Holgerson. You know who's the coach at Houston right now? Dana Holgerson, people. See what I just did there? See why I set it up? See why I did the lead up? That's what I do. I'm a professional. That's what I do. Enough, guys, please. It's fine. So, okay. So, this is why this game is so fascinating to me. Because Oklahoma is already kind of like a wounded dog on defense, right? They just got Beat up and crushed last year and embarrassed, and everybody was putting up points on them. They played better in the Big 12 championship game against Texas. They played better in the college football playoff against Alabama. But what happens if they give up a touchdown on the first drive of the game, or a deep touchdown pass, or uh, a reverse, or they give up 21 points in the fourth quarter? or the first quarter? Are they going to be able to buckle down? Are they going to be able to regroup? Or are they going to get into this mindset of, we're back in in last year all over again, we're in a lot of trouble. And I think it's fascinating because the coach that they're going up against knows them, has coached against them, has had success against them. Now, it's a completely different team, completely different personnel, completely different players. But that coach, Dana Holgerson, knows Oklahoma, knows their strengths, knows their weaknesses, isn't going to be afraid of them. And I would add this, too. Anybody who follows college football, you guys know. Dana Holgerson's a crazy person. Dana Holgerson's not afraid to do some crazy stuff and throw a couple reverses and some, you know, halfback passes and, like, whatever it takes to win that game. And so I think that game's going to be fascinating. I don't think Oklahoma's going to lose. But uh, let's just say when the, the week one bets come out, I think I will be betting the uh, the over in that one because to me, that's just so fascinating. Oklahoma, I don't think we remember just how bad that defense was. And in week one, to go up against a a, a, a offense that historically has been very explosive. Um, Houston was really good, obviously, in the Tom Herman years, dipped a little bit in the major Applewhite years. But to go up against a team that has talent, and oh, by the way, a head coach that knows you, I just think is going to be fascinating. So Last game that's kind of on my radar. There's a couple good ones in week two. Uh, I, I, I don't remember if Notre Dame-Georgia is week two, but Notre Dame goes to Georgia. Of course, they played uh, a few years ago in South Bend. It was a one-point Georgia win, and that was kind of the game that kind of catapulted uh, Georgia into the college football playoff a few years ago. That's technically week three, so we'll get to that one down the road. The last one that is just fascinating to me. LSU at Texas, Week Two, and I got to give college football credit this for this. Uh, you know, for years we've done these neutral site games, and uh, you know I mentioned Oregon, Auburn is going to be at Jerry World in Dallas. Alabama usually opens up on a neutral site. Uh, we have games in Atlanta, we have games here, we have games there. But I think the trend slowly is going back to true home and home games because I think as has been discussed, and I know it's been discussed at length the last two or three weeks, is that, you know, a lot of these programs across the country are having trouble selling tickets. And the reason they're having trouble selling tickets is because the best game in their out of conference has been in a neutral site. So fans say, you know, rather than getting a season ticket package, what I'll do is I'll go to that neutral site game to open the season. So if I'm an Alabama or an Auburn or an LSU fan, I'll take my whole family. We'll go to Dallas or Atlanta for the season opener. Um, We'll maybe go to a big game or two during the season and then we'll go to the bowl game and we'll watch everything else at home. And so I do think that coaches and and administrators are finally starting to realize we got to schedule some of these games back on campus. And so this is one of those good ones. I mentioned Notre Dame, Georgia, but the one that I am so fascinated by LSU at Texas. First of all, LSU is going to be really good this year. And look, they're good every year. But I do think that, like, first of all, I don't think Ed Ed Orgeron got enough credit, Coach O, for what he did last year. They came into the season, I was reading all this stuff, you know, Coach O, is he on the hot seat coming into the year? And, if you know, he's got a cheap contract, and if he doesn't do well, what's going to happen to him, and blah, blah, blah. LSU won... 10 games for the first time since 2013 last year so for the first time in five years they won 10 or more games they should have won 11 if you remember they had texas a&m beat they ended up uh uh, losing in seven overtimes to texas a&m otherwise it would have been an 11 win team they return almost everybody i mean a bunch on defense they return their quarterback joe burrow and so lsu is going to be really 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 good coming into this year and i'll say this Their schedule is usually just brutal. For LSU standards, it's pretty manageable. So last year, keep in mind they played Miami out of conference, one of those out of conference neutral site games that I mentioned. They played at Auburn, they played at Florida. Georgia was one of their crossover games, and then they played Alabama, and then of course at A and M, the game that I just mentioned. This year. The crossover games, they always play Florida, but they get Florida at home. They get Auburn at home. Their other crossover game is against Vandy, so a much more manageable schedule. They have, obviously, a game at Bama, which, let's be honest, they're not going to win because it's Bama. Nobody beats Bama, especially on at home. But everything else on the on the schedule is manageable. So I am so fascinated because LSU is going to be really good this year but they're going to a true road game at Texas. But I think it's also fascinating from the Texas perspective, right? And I'll tell you why. We've been for years, and I know it's like the big inside joke in college football. Is Texas back? Oh my God, they won a game. Are they back? They beat Oklahoma. Are they back? They beat this. Are they back? Well, this offseason, it feels like people really do think that Texas is back. And I'll tell you this, I'm not really sold on it. I am not really sold on this idea that Texas is back, and I'll tell you why. It's because of the fact that last year they had this this, this really cool season. They, they, they beat Oklahoma in the regular season. They ended up losing to them in the conference championship game. And then they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, and that's where all the hype came from, right? It was because they beat Georgia. It's because it's the Sugar Bowl. It's because it's a national stage on New Year's Day, and everyone says, like, okay, like, uh, yeah, I guess Texas is back. And so now, coming into this year, there is so much hype around Texas. I'm just saying I don't buy it, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Texas loses a ton off of last year, and I think one thing we tend to do in college football is this: is if we know the coach and we trust the coach and we like the coach, and we know the quarterback, we say, "Oh, that team's gonna—they're—they're—they're they're gonna, they're gonna be good this year. They're, they're always good, and they got—we—we the, we know the quarterback." But there's a lot of times where if you look deeper, if you dig deeper, if you look at some of the guys that they lost, either on defense or at skill positions, you realize, like, this is going to be harder than I think a lot of people realize. And I do think Texas is one of those teams. So Texas wins 10 games last year. They win the Sugar Bowl. Their quarterback is coming back, a kid named Sam Ellinger. And everybody thinks, oh, Texas is back. Like, this time it's for real, blah, blah, blah. I'm not so sure. I'll tell you why. First of all, they basically lost their whole defense. They lost eight starters off their defense. They also lost their best wide receiver. They lost a couple key running backs. And so outside of the kid Sam Ellinger, there's a lot of question marks with Texas. A lot of question marks. And even Sam Ellinger, the quarterback, he's good, but he's a small guy. He likes to run the ball. He likes to put his shoulder down. He missed, he's missed time with injury. And so I'm not rooting for injury. I'm not predicting injury. But I think there's a good chance that he's going to be playing this season at less than 100% for a big chunk of the season. And so when you add in the losses on defense, when you add in the losses uh, at the skill positions, I think Texas might not be quite as good as a lot of people think that they are. And people think they're good, man. People think that they are good. If you look at this first USA Today coaches poll, they're ranked 10th. I don't think they're the 10th best team in the country. People got Notre Dame, well, not Notre Dame, they got a lot of teams ranked behind Texas. By the way, you know who else I'm not sold thinks Texas is that good? Tom Herman, I'm not sold. Let me tell you why. I thought this was a very interesting comment. So Tom Herman at Big 12 Media Day was asked kind of about... Um, you know, building the program from the ground up and the success of last year and how does it all fit in, blah, 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 blah. This is what he said. You know, he said, I lean on Dabo Sweeney a lot at Clemson. I think it took him, what, seven years, something like that, to win his first national championship? Coach Mack Brown at Texas was the same. I'm not saying we're setting the bar at seven years, but what I'm saying is we want to win championships and we want to win them now, but we were brought in here to rebuild the program and that takes time. Now, to most people, I don't think anyone, like, I don't think that means much to anybody, but you know what that's kind of saying to me as just a consumer, and maybe I'm paying way too much attention? What that's saying to me is, Tom Herman's kind of like, look, I i like our guys, and I'm really happy with what happened last year, and, like, I think we're going to be really good, but we ain't there yet. Like, you guys are, you know, printing up the banners and, 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 and you know, uh, top 10 in the country and, like... We're not, we're not there yet. We're building it. We're going to get there. We're recruiting well. We're updating our facilities, but we're not there yet. And you can't come out and say it if you're a head coach, right? But it seems like he's thinking it. I don't think that's a comment that a coach makes unless he's kind of knows behind the scenes, like my team's good, but like guys are kind of overhyping them a little bit, right? Like, I think there's a lot of coaches that, that that they'll tell you if they think their team's good. They'll tell you if they think their team's going to be better than people realize. They'll also tell you without telling you if they don't think they're going to be that good. And I think Texas and Tom Herman, by him saying, we were brought here to rebuild this program and that takes time, I think that was Tom Herman's little way of saying like, eh, we're not quite there yet. So watch out for that game. Watch out for Auburn, Oregon. And watch out, For Houston, Oklahoma. Again, those are the games that I just think are going to be phenomenal to watch the first couple weeks. And there are other ones. There's a lot of really good games really early in the season, but those are just a couple that jump out to me right off the top, week one, week two. And we're going to have plenty of time to get into them. Nick Coffey and I will talk more about them uh, as the offseason goes on and as we get through August and all that kind of stuff. But I do want to transition to just a couple basketball topics before I let you guys go for the day. Uh, the first one, Marjan Bochamp. So for people who don't know Marjan Bochamp, and I don't know why you would unless you're just a recruiting guru nut job. Marjan Bochamp is one of the top 30 or so players in the high school upcoming senior class. So he just finished his junior high school. He's going to be a senior next season and Marjan Beauchamp last week announced that he will skip his one year of college and he will train professionally to prepare for the 2021 NBA draft so not this next NBA draft coming up but the following one I had a lot of things to say about this and first of all for people who may be new let me do the blanket statement Kids can do what they want. College isn't for everybody. School isn't for everybody. If you don't want to be in school, you shouldn't be in school. It's ironic because I'll tell you a quick funny story. Um, When when Adam Silver kind of first came out with this idea that he was going to change the one-and-done rule, that he was thinking about changing the draft... There was this conversation that it could happen as early as the 2020 NBA draft that high school players could be allowed to re-enter the NBA draft as early as 2020. That was uh, that was maybe about a year and a half ago, right when the conversation first started. Uh, I actually think John Calipari was the first one to really put that that year 2022 on the table. But when 2020 was a possibility, I went to one of these AAU events and I interviewed a bunch of high school players and kind of just asked them about the process. And, you know, would you think about this if, if uh, you know, the opportunity presented itself? One of my interviews was Marjan Beauchamp. And Marjan Beauchamp actually, he said something interesting to me. He basically said, you know, I'll talk it over with my dad, you know, blah, blah, blah. I trust his opinion. But yeah, it's something I would consider. And so it's ironic that we come full circle where Marjan Beauchamp announces uh, this week that he will skip, he'll play a senior year of high school, he'll skip his freshman year of college basketball and he'll train for the NBA draft and so again you guys know what my stance is on this I've repeated it ad nauseum you're probably sick of me hearing it if a kid doesn't want to play college basketball he has that right go train go overseas do what RJ Hampton did stay out of trouble I'll be honest I don't think it's great to not play for an entire season I don't think that's the best thing for your development I would tell him, go play overseas, but that doesn't seem to be what he's interested in. But, of course, when something like this happens, we all know what the conversation then becomes. It's it's the people like me that love college basketball saying, you know, college really isn't that bad. Uh, and it's the people that are, oh, these kids shouldn't have to go to college. They they do their whole spiel, and then it just becomes a fight, and we all argue. Well, all I'll say about Marjan Beauchamp is a couple things. First of all, his dad said something that was just insane and just kind of just silly and, and idiotic. Um, his dad just basically said that um, he didn't believe that he should have to go to college because it's not going to prepare his son for the NFL, for the NBA. His exact, his exact words were, there's not one college that can get you prepared for the NBA. Bochamp's father, John Bochamp, told 24-7 Sports, our buddy Evan Daniels, college is for college and NBA is for the NBA. First of all, that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. You can disagree whether kids should have to go to college, how much it helps, is there value, what is the value, is it all on the basketball court, are there things off the court that I argue like strength and conditioning, nutrition that help. The one thing you can't argue is that college doesn't help at all. Because I'll tell you this like, go ask Devin Booker or Tyler Hero or Willie Cauley Stein if Kentucky helped turn them. From a four-star prospect, I think in Willie Cauley-Stein's case, like a three-star prospect, into an NBA player, because Devin Booker is worth like three hundred million dollars right now, and I don't think he would have gotten that three hundred million if he had just gone to if he hadn't gone to Kentucky. Like, call me crazy, call me crazy. I don't know. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. How about Virginia? DeAndre Hunter. It's like the 94th ranked player in his high school class. Just became the number three overall pick. Number four overall pick. Call me crazy. I don't know. I feel like Virginia maybe had something to do with that. Villanova, four guys drafted in the top 33 last year. Three guys in the first round. None of those three guys were McDonald's All-Americans. Call me crazy. I feel like Villanova maybe had something to do with it. Call me crazy. I don't know. Maybe I'm taking crazy pills. I don't know. John Bochamp. Shout out to John Bochamp. He knows more about this than I do. Um, but what I do find interesting about this conversation is pretty simple. This kid doesn't want to play college basketball. No problem. Go train. Go do whatever you want. Go eat McDonald's. every. I, I like Whatever you want to do, I don't care. I wish you the best of luck. This is what I found interesting, though. This is what I found interesting. And nobody else has said this. Of course, it came to me first because I'm just... I don't want to say I'm smarter than everybody else in the media, but if you guys want to think that, I'm not going to argue with you. But here's my question. If you're not going to play college basketball because it's not going to help you get ready for the NBA draft, why are you playing high school basketball this year? Like what value does high school basketball so, – so college basketball is this terrible thing. College, is, college gets you ready for college. The NBA gets you ready for the NBA. But you're going to play high school basketball this year? But playing against Finley Prep and uh, you know, uh, um, not modern day, but that's so so so. Playing against UCLA and Arizona and Kentucky and Duke, that's not going to get you ready for the NBA. But playing against modern day will, huh? And don't tell me like, well, you can't just drop out of high school. First of all, he wouldn't have to drop out of high school. He could take correspondence classes. He could take GED he could do everything online. Heck, we have kids now that are reclassifying, taking a whole year's worth of high school classes online. I'm pretty sure this kid could do the same without having to play college basketball. He could start training now. But two, even if he did want to drop out of high school, who cares? By saying you're not going to college, what you're basically saying is education isn't important. We're putting all of our eggs in this basketball basket, for lack of a better term. That we're putting his entire future on basketball and we're really hoping that he's one of those guys that's going to not only make it to the NBA, but make it to the second, third, fourth contract where he's set for the rest of his life. That's what we're saying with this decision to skip college. We're saying academics really don't matter. Let's just get ready. This is his vocation. This is his profession. If you want to be a plumber, you don't go to college for four years and get a psychology degree. You go to vocational school, right? And this is his vocation, so he's going to go to vocational school for a year okay, I get it. So why are you playing high school basketball? Why aren't you training this year? Because to me, that actually makes more sense. Train this year, take high school basketball off, then go play pro overseas, go to Australia, go to Europe. Rather than just training, rather than playing high school basketball, again, it doesn't make sense. I don't agree with the concept that college basketball doesn't prepare you for the NBA, but if you want to make that argument, you're also saying right now that high school basketball does. That makes absolutely no sense. And I would also add, people say, like, oh, you can't just drop out of high school, but I do find it interesting. Like, like you know, we, we want this, like, European soccer model where, oh, kids can sign as professionals when they're young. Well, guess what? In Europe, Kids sign when they're like 12, 13, 14 years old. And so that's always been my argument, is if you want to take out the one and done rule, that's fine. And I love this concept that, you know, it's really funny to me, this, this arbitrary concept that, well, you know, they shouldn't, have to, they shouldn't have to go to college for a year if they don't want to. Okay, that's fine. But why do they have to go to high school? This, this is what I've never understood. Why have we randomly decided that it's absolutely imperative that kids finish four years of high school but it's not imperative that they go to college at all. Never made sense to me. What's the difference between that one year? And that's my argument, is if you want to take out the one and done rule, fine. But my personal belief, it shouldn't be high school. You should be able to sign with a professional team whenever somebody's willing to pay you. And so if Imani Bates, the kid, that, the kid that's 14 years old in, in Michigan that people are saying is the best high school freshman that they've ever seen, if that kid wants to sign out of, uh, as a freshman, And somebody wants to pay him, we should be able to do it. It happens in soccer. In baseball, international prospects can sign at 16 years old. And so that's the thing that bothers me about all this is if we've decided that like, oh, it's so terrible that they have to go to college for one year, then why isn't it terrible that they have to go to a junior and senior year of high school if they're good enough to sign professionally? Don't get it. Don't get this kid. And I really just don't get this idea that, um, that, College is so terrible, but he's gonna play high school basketball this year again. It, it, if if it's really about just getting ready, then just just go train now. Because if college basketball isn't gonna prepare you. I don't think playing against Modern Day and Finley Prep is going to prepare you. All right, last little thing. This is just going to be a minute or two. A little more recruiting news again. I'm not a recruiting guy, and I always say that because I don't ever want to pretend like I know more than the experts out there. Um, And I said that a little bit on the last episode because BJ Boston from uh, Georgia committed to the University of Kentucky. Daylon Terry the week before from Arizona. We talked about him. Kentucky did pick up another commitment on Sunday morning. Cameron Fletcher, Cameron and the Diplomats. I don't know how many of you will understand that uh, that reference, but Cameron and the Diplomats, Cameron Fletcher, uh, announced that he will be going to the University of Kentucky. A little bit of a different prospect, and I haven't seen him as much. I've seen BJ Boston a ton. I've seen Dale and Terry a ton seen Jalen Green, number one player in the country, or number three or four, whatever he is, Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham. I've seen all those guys a bunch. I haven't seen Cameron Fletcher a ton, Um, but I think he's a really good pickup for Kentucky, and I think that that he's a guy that, look, we always do this dance, right, where in theory he looks like he is going to be a two or three-year player in college, but Tyler Hero looked like he was going to be a two or three-year player in college, and he was gone after one year. Um, Shay Gildas Alexander looked like a two- or three-year college player, and he was gone after one year. And so I'm not going to put that kind of scarlet letter on him because there's a lot of guys that have come in and proven that they're good enough to do it after a year or two. There are other guys who haven't had success who've ended up leaving, Jamal Baker, Sasha Kalaya-Jones, guys like that. Um, but Cameron Fletcher, haven't seen him a ton. But what I've seen, I really, really like actually. Really athletic, wing player, um, wing player... Super athletic, as I just said, and I think what he's going to bring is a guy that's very athletic, um, that's going to compete on both ends of the floor, and what I like about him every time I've seen him, he's really competitive, not a great three-point shooter right now, but I don't think there's anything broken with his shot, kind of like B.J. Boston. And I think he's a kid that's going to be able to get to the rim, going to be able to score in transition. Kentucky is going to be able to play fast. I don't know who their point guard is going to be at this time next year because uh, Ashton Hagen's Tyrese Maxey may both go pro. Who knows who's to say. Um, But I think he's just a nice piece. I don't think he's the final piece. I think Kentucky's got a lot of recruiting left to do. Um, I'm very fascinated to see where they go. I'll tell you this. I heard a little nugget that I do think is kind of interesting. So, um, you know, Kentucky is obviously in the running for not only Cameron Fletcher and B.J. Boston, who committed, but potentially kind of this dream scenario class where they could sign Jalen Green, who's like the number three player in the country, and then maybe even Joshua Christopher, who's kind of a top 10, top 12 player, all those guys play in the backcourt. So you basically have four players in that scenario, Jalen Green, Joshua Christopher, BJ Boston, and Cameron Fletcher, who are all kind of wingish type, somewhere between a two guard and a small ball four wing player kind of guys. Um, now I'll tell you this, I kind of heard something interesting from a college coach that this past couple weeks, is that the two kids that are still on the market Uh, Jalen Green and Joshua Christopher they are very much talking about being a package deal Uh, it's been reported by my buddy Jack Pilgrim who covers college recruiting that that is a possibility and I'll tell you I think it's in play I know one school that actually backed off of both of them because for lack of a better term they don't think that there's going to be two starting spots in their backcourt a year from now and they're kind of like you know, we can't be bringing in these kids that are thinking that they're going to be one and done and start and, you know, put a senior on the bench or put them on the bench because they think they're coming into play right away. And so one school was just like, look, we'd love to have them, but we got upperclassmen that we think is juniors or seniors are going to be as good as those kids. So that school backed off. I mean, Christopher, Joshua Christopher has his final five. Jalen Green has his final I don't think he's officially announced anything, but it seems to be a Kentucky versus Memphis Memphis thing. But what I think is interesting is they are talking about being a package deal, and the only place that that's realistic is Kentucky. So I think it's a totally positive sign that those two could end up together. Joshua Christopher down to a final five. I think it's Missouri, Arizona State, UCLA, Kentucky, and Michigan maybe, and then Jalen Green down to uh, I think Kentucky and Memphis unofficially, but that's basically what everybody thinks. Jalen Green, I said, I believe I saw it. Will announce uh, on Christmas. But the story really was Cameron Fletcher. Uh, like I said, I, I just think he's going to be a really good player. I think you know the comparison is to Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I like that a lot. A really high-energy wing plays defense. He's not a great shooter right now. I think he will get there. But I, I listen. I just like what the what this class, what they're doing, how they're putting it together. A lot of wings. A lot of athleticism. And you know what I really think John Calipari is honestly selling is. It's it's further proof that Kentucky prepares you for the NBA because if you look at who they're recruiting now, it's a lot of small ball stuff, right? And I know that the fascination with Kentucky right now is are they going to get the kid in Folly Dante, five star kid, thinking about reclassifying? But I think that that you know Calipari trying to put together a program where it's more nba like which is there's not a lot of big guys in the nba there's not a lot of low post guys in the nba and in the nba you got to be able to to on offense you got to be able to shoot you got to be able to handle the ball, and then on defense, you got to be switchable one through five. When 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 there's pick and rolls, you got to be able to switch onto the other guys, the other guys uh, uh, player, and be able to defend him. And so you look at the class that Calipari just put together this previous season with Johnny Juzang, with Tyrese Maxey, with uh, Khalil Whitney, with Keon Brooks, and then this upcoming class: B.J. Boston and Cameron Fletcher, as well as potentially. Jalen Green and Joshua Christopher down the road. I think that's what he's doing. He's saying, look, NBA's playing a bunch of 3-4 guard looks. I'm going to do that at the college level. That's going to get my guys ready. That's going to get my guys prepared. That's truly what I believe that he is doing. It has been proven with Cameron Fletcher, and we will see if that continues with the rest of this recruiting class. All right. That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys listening to the end. Make sure to, if you're not already, subscribe. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio. Now we're on Spotify. I forgot to mention that. Spotify. So hit me up at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Uh, Follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And make sure you're subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, Five stars are welcomed and encouraged. That is all. Also, oh, yeah. Make sure. Send in questions. Entertorespodcastquestions at gmail.com. I got a couple in the inbox. I'm trying to wait to get three or four to get some good ones, but I appreciate everyone who's tuned in. That's all for today. Shout out to our our new friend, John Beauchamp. Shout out to our boy, Torrent Craig. And I'll be back later this week with potentially, by the way, a really big guest, so you better be tuned in. Thanks. Have a good day.